Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipporah, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and the co-host of the Michelle Miao Show at the club. This is the latest in more than 330 online programs the club has produced in the past eight months. Now I'm pleased to introduce Michelle Miao. She is a producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to all of you who are joining us. I'm so excited about this conversation. It's uh, it's like a page out of, not a page, an actual chapter out of my own life. Oh, those days of waking up at three o'clock in the morning, joining my mom to sell hot donuts, and then going to school and doing people's homework for some side cash. Yeah, that was actually a part of my life at one point. Today, we are going to discuss Takeout Girl, a film that tells the story of Tara, a young Chinese-American girl who works side jobs to help out her working-class family, including delivering food for her mom's Chinese restaurant. Tara ends up taking on a dangerous side hustle, though, uh, for a drug dealer in order to lift her family out of poverty. What do you think? The American dream? (laughs) We'll talk all about it. We have the director the co-writers, and the star of the film with us. But before we begin the program, let's take a look at the trailer. Focus on school. I wasted so much time learning that this place has nothing to offer a young woman. tables clean and deliver my bike. The do next door fix auntie's car this morning and I'll just cover you while you're gone. Somebody order Chinese food? Do me a favor. Take that shit to the back. I don't know who ordered that Chinese food, but your money is back there. Is it worth it? Is what worth it? Side hustle. Hey. Hey. Shit. I don't trust you. But Lalo, Lalo does trust you. What if I go to the cops? I'll burn the place down. With everyone in it. You know money fixes everything. I know how to get to the cash. This is what you want, right? Now deal with it. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I know what Lalo's about. Take out, girl. Stay out of here. There's animals in here. They break from the leash. Please step out the car, man. Sir, I just... I asked you to step out the car, ma'am. Good. Let's welcome Hassani Johnson, who's co-writer and director of Takeout Girl, and the star, Hetty Wong, who's also co-writer. Welcome, everyone, to the program. Thank you so much for this fantastic film. Hassani, this is your first feature film, and um, how did you and Hetty get together since it's, you know, it's based off of a true story? In fact, it's based off of true accounts of Hetty's life, but how did you two come together to, to put this film you know, to, to tell the story. Good question. Um, Hetty and I connected because I have a little bit of a reputation for making films that don't have a lot of assets behind them look like they do. And uh, Lauren Lee, the gentleman who plays Saren, told Hetty about this pr- specific skill I have, and, and I think it piqued Hetty's interest, and she reached out, and we met up, so... It, things tend to work out. We, she actually asked me uh, to lunch, and when I met her, I knew I had a film before I even read the script. Like, Hetty's personality, like the way she walks, the way she talks, the way she dresses, I knew I could make a film about her doing anything, like mowing the lawn, and it would be interesting, so. Oh, that's awesome. Hetty, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, it sounds like you were, you know, been working on this this idea this story uh, or telling the story of your life for quite a while right um i'm not the most articulate person but right now all i have to say is thank god i met hisani thank god because um before i met him you know i was just trying to figure out like man how am i going to do this um and i really thought of it as more of a on a student film level you know and then once i met with hisani it just became so much more and the movie looked so much bigger. And then with him rewriting it, cause you know, when I was writing it, I was very scared to write a movie that was too big to produce, to make on my own. But with Asani, he knew, you know, what he could do. And so he, 
he the rewrites were a little bigger because he knew what he could do with the um a lot of the shots so i'm i'm really blessed to have met him and um and then we're we're here today and i'm so excited <laughs> well, we're glad you're both here and and we're assuming now most of the people watching us uh, watching this interview here have not seen the movie yet so i'm going to ask you both to kind of give us okay you know take us tell us the basic synopsis and michelle and i have seen it and we'll try not to do too many spoiler uh giveaways here but um first uh maybe this is a question for hassani uh someone one of our viewers asks where can i stream the movie in the u.s so if someone wants to see this where, what should they do well, right now we're still on the festival circuit, so you're going to have to catch it at, I think our next film festival is uh, Silver State in Las Vegas, and that's all region blocked, so you can only watch it if you're like within 80 miles of the area. There's Silver State, there's Green Bay International, uh, there's Beloit International, and... Wait, wait, wait. Green Bay what? International, as in Green Bay, Wisconsin? Yes, sir. I am originally that's from funny. Milwaukee, and I have a great relationship I with that film festival. I'm from Green Bay, so glad. Yeah, <laughs> you're a cheesehead. We found your embarrassing <laughs> secret. <laughs> no, I, I so love Wis keep... Wisconsin. Yeah. I love it very much. So I love Green Bay. See... And I love Milwaukee, okay? We paid all of our dues. <laughs> so people should keep an eye then on, on their local uh, 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 film festivals and, and look for it there. Yeah, if you wanted to know where we're currently screen, uh, screening, Great. the best place to go would be Instagram. Uh, it's Takeout Girl Feature Film on Instagram, or you could check my Instagram, haha, <laughs> at Hisani J, H I S O N N I J. And I tend to keep people uh, aware of where we're screening. But uh, we do, it looks like we will have a great distributor uh, at the end of this month, and the film should come out mid to late 2021. Great. So fantastic. Hetty, now, if when people go to watch this, what's the basic story that they should prepare themselves for? Well, the basic story is it's just about a young girl, college dropout, and um, she's helping her mom with the Chinese restaurant. And when you're young and in a certain environment, you feel like if you, if you only could get some more money, it could solve so many things. And so as she was making her delivery runs, she runs into, you know, a local OG and he gives her an opportunity to make more money and she takes it because when you're young, you take shortcuts. <laughs> okay, OG. I mean, I know I know what it stands for. I grew up in Stockton, California, but Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, you know, I think um in on our um right like when we write about, I think they call him like a local, you know, but he's really just a local, you know, gangster, but OG because he's been in the game for so long, you know. Yeah. So Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the original, the original. <laughs> right, original. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I love this film. I opened up with the fact that it's nostalgic for me. I really resonate with it, uh, especially, you know, in Hollywood films these days or for a long time, you know, Asians played, or people of color, I should say, you know, play very stereotypical roles. And in fact, if we want to talk about, you know, the most successful movie pr uh, with an Asian, you know, lead or, or talking about Asian issues, crazy rich Asians, which, you know, not all Asians are super crazy rich. Um, yes. But here's this film, you know, that tells about a, a, a working class Asian family, you know, struggling uh, to make ends meet and sharing space or cohabitating, you know, right with, with other uh, races. Why did you want to tell the story? I know that we know that it's based off of your true, you know, life, uh -huh. but what was most important for you about it in wanting to share this narrative, this story about people of color? Well, you know, I just wanted to tell the truth, really, um, uh, the truth of, you know, experiences of me and the, the people around me, the Asians around me. Um, Crazy Rich Asians was such a fun movie. Um, but you know, when it came out, because there's so little representation in Hollywood of Asians, when, when, when one big Asian movie come out, everybody just kind of assumed like, oh, all Asians, all Asians are crazy rich. And then I look at my other Asians around me, I'm like, yo, when did we become crazy rich? Because I remember when, you know, growing up, we was all like refugee immigrants coming from a third world or developing country. And we was, you know, it, we was all working class. Like, when did we just, but, you know, Asia have developed um, really rapidly during the 90s. Um, 
you know, and Asians being like what five to six percent of the U.S. population, um, unless you're stuck in Oakland, Chinatown, San Francisco, Chinatown, you're really going to be interacting with other people in the communities, other, you know, um, black, brown, you know, and especially south of the 10 in L.A., it's mostly black and brown, you know, because of the history of the U.S. and California, you know, certain pockets will be one demographic. And, you know, so it to me, I was just speaking really from the, the truth of where we are. Hassani, do you want to add to that? I do want to add to that. When Hetty shared the premise of the film with me and I met her, I knew I had something special, but it also tapped into a little bit of something inside of me that was very angry. I remember it was 2015 and Trump was running for re-election and he referred to uh, Hispanic immigrants or uh, immigrants from Mexico as bad hombres. And, And it hit me. Like, an, like a wave from the past, because I remember it was the early 90s and I was being called a super predator. And because of those words, I watched all of my friends and all of my role models slowly disappear off of my block. And how it ties into Takeout Girl is the motivation of our main character was very much the same as the motivation of all of those those men in my life that disappeared from my block as a young kid because someone called us super predators. And I knew the same thing was happening in Hispanic neighborhoods because they were being called bad hombres. So if I can make a film where I can make people empathize with criminality, you know, if they could look at Tara and say, I would do the same damn thing, then I could spark a conversation after the film from a point of understanding that's never really happened before, because there's people who know desperation and people who've never even sniffed it. And if you can bridge that gap, you can have a conversation that makes sense about it. So I think that was my point in making the film. Eddie, I mean, you get this right from the opening scene of the film that uh, Tara's tough, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get that and you carry that through. Everything she has to deal with and all the people she has to deal with, she's such a, a strong presence and, and tough. How much of that is you? Uh, ooh, I think it was much more so when, before I made the film, you know, I, I um, as, a, you know, a, a young girl running around in LA and just trying to figure things out, um, you have to, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, just life just being, you know, difficult. Um, but also as a, a female, you deal with, extra things that people will try you just because they think and then you know they think oh a little Asian girl you know she, she you know let, let's see you know let's see if we can take advantage of her in some ways or whatever you know and so I think um I, you know I don't mean to be tough I just I, I was just really <laughs> you know I um when I do business or whatever especially if it's a male figure I really try to carry myself in a very um I don't want to have give him any hints that there could be some, you know, so so I, I'm very professional, very just, you know, down to the business. And let's not even talk about what you like to do for a hobby. Let's talk about what we're gonna do now to make some money. Right. And so it's very much that type of attitude. I mean, you have to have the the fierceness though, growing up, you know, in the in in certain neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. In the neighborhood that I had to grow up, and we call it the hood, you know, you you definitely did have to carry on um, as a young girl, as a young Asian girl, you know, some persona that you could not be messed with. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I got really lucky, to be honest with you. I mean, nobody messed with me, but that was probably because I look like an insurance sales person at 16 years old with my Dockers slacks. <laughs> they probably thought like, okay, you know, we don't want to mess with the person who's filling out forms for our family or something like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but I mean, my next question is really about, yeah, Hassani brought this up in the conversation around crime and the, how we define, you know, crime, how we, how we define ourselves, if you are a good person, bad person, or deserving of this or that, you know, because of a crime. It's not necessarily a crime when, when the banks foreclose on the homes that they've sold you on some fraudulent loans that have impacted, you know, black and brown families, and you're now homeless and hungry and trying to figure out how to put food on your table. 
the cost of survival that's the subtitle you know of the film i'd love to hear your perspectives both of you on how we uh, how we address you know crime within our own neighborhoods and that push that absolute push and try to get somebody else to understand where we're coming from when you're up against you know trying to survive hetty oh me first oh, okay um um i oh this is uh this is a um a very new uh, the answer isn't black and white you know yep. especially if you if hey, you grew up from stockton you already know that it you know the opportunities for especially you know minorities you know, and, and not everybody's going to get A's and, and become a microbiologist, you know, like, like, you know, that's, that's not everybody. You can't study your way out sometimes. Some people are, some people wired differently. And, but the opportunities could be scarce, but you don't want to be a bus boy all your life. You don't want to, you know, um, and, and especially when you're young, like I said, you, you want to find ways to get more and if you come from an environment where a lot of people around you kind of low-key doing it you're not really a stranger to it it's kind of you know I'm pretty sure the mom will be like you know don't do it you know don't be like da 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 but you get to a certain age where you make your own decision and you kind of find a balance between what's right and what seems somewhat criminal but it could just be seen as a shortcut too you know um yeah did I did I just come off that's exactly the i mean i think that's the start of these important conversations right how do how do laws get passed and and then you know breaking a law uh in order to survive i mean I, you gotta there's got to be some balance to that um and we're, we're gonna have hasani jump in i know he uh, he's probably got stuff swirling yeah it's so that's a that's one of the most loaded questions i've ever been asked before in my life because i could talk about it forever but i think the thing that jumps out to me the most is how much i love the character of tara because she's smart enough to understand that if she doesn't do something it's cyclical desperation poverty all of the motivation behind criminality is not what people think if you're from the suburbs and you've never tasted desperation, but you hear about someone embezzling at your father's company, you just immediately assume they're greedy, but you don't assume that their wife is dying and the insurance company won't cover it or that their child needs a heart transplant and the insurance company won't cover it. So again, like desperation, it happens everywhere, but it is systemic where Tara comes from, where I come from, where you come from, where, where Hetty comes from. And, and it doesn't really end. That's the crazy part about it, unless you take extreme measures. And for some people, extreme measures is pushing their body to the limit and going to the NFL. Some people, it's becoming a rap star. Uh, other people, they uh, move into criminality. And, and again, I think we have to evaluate, because criminals... Felons, specifically in our country, are the most just overlooked human beings on the planet. Like, they have no access to, to good jobs or anything when they come out, even though they've paid their debt. Um, they, they are uh, uh, late, just the stigma around them. It's hard to find places to live. I don't know. I, I, I really think it's, it's a really tough place to navigate, but it's definitely something that needs reform. And it's something that needs to be addressed in a much bigger way. There has to be a halfway point between uh, doing a crime and going to jail. There has to be, at some point, someone who evaluates the situation and sees that the person didn't commit the crime because they were trying to be hurtful. It's that they needed help, you know? And again, trying to make a movie that sparks this conversation, you know, I don't know if I was successful at it. But Lord knows that's where my heart was because I'm literally the only boy from my block that didn't go to jail or get shot. So. Well, I think you, I think you did, you know, you, yes, you did make a film that somebody wants to talk about it. I want to talk about it. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of curious, especially along these lines, as you're showing this at festivals and and people are, are seeing it, what kind of reactions are you getting? And let's split it by race. I mean, what kind of reaction are white viewers 
you know, are, are they like, oh my God, I didn't know this, or are they rejecting it? Or, uh, I mean, uh, what, what are they, how, what kind of reaction are you getting from them? What kind of reaction are you getting from black audiences and Asian American audiences? I mean, what, what feedback are you getting and what are they saying? Well, that's one of the curses of COVID is that most of the film festivals have been virtual. So I haven't been able to get direct communication from my actual audience. I've been able to communicate with the people who run the film festivals. And to be completely honest, it, it there is a distinction in the way people have been um, perceiving the film according to race. When it comes to whites, the most evident aspect of their understanding of the film or what they take from the film is understanding and empathy and they're excited about that that learning something they didn't know like being put in that position like walking using Tara as a conduit and then having the film end and 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 just being in her position there's nothing you remember a little bit of what you see a little bit more of what you hear but you always remember how you felt and that's the power of movies and I definitely see that with my white audience a lot with my black audience I feel complete acceptance from them because it's their story too. It doesn't matter that Tara is Asian. And I find that to be incredibly beautiful when it comes to uh, an Asian audience. It feels like I get a lot of respect for sharing this side of being Asian because I think people, people assume being Asian consists of coming out of the womb and being handed your degree from Yale or Harvard as you know before you got your pampers and then moving on to some amazing IT job or becoming a doctor and it's just not that and uh and I can I think I can feel that and I think I I I received that from my audiences from all those races Hetty oh me uh, <laughs> I I know I I know just you know like me and Lauren both feel like this movie is really important to just show to show another side to the model minority story because that's what's really been put on us by American society. It's like, oh, this is the model minority, but really we're the silent minority. And um, our representation is, you know, is limited. And, you know, again, with the Crazy Rich Asian movie, it kind of, I I say, you know, it it, kind of makes it harder on, I mean, I don't want to say it's hard, but it makes it harder on some Asians because they are not crazy rich or they don't, they're not even part of that type of culture. But now because of the movie being really big, now your general um, people around you or that don't really know you or general public will assume you must be like that. And this movie hopefully will offer a balance to both because just like with all communities, no one community is monolithic. You know, the black community, not all black people are the same, not all Asian people are the same. And so the, we're just adding another color to the representation. You had a uh, star rapper or a successful rap artist, you know, who plays a role in the film and it was his debut uh, acting uh, or yeah, it was his first time acting, I think. And that is Stupid Young. And, you know, here's, here's a rap artist who raps about the violence and, and the crime and, and, you know, and our uh, growing up um, with, the, with the struggle that we're talking about. But his first role in acting is playing a cop. Yes. <laughs> how did that happen? And how did he agree to, I mean, what did he think um, about taking on that role? Right. So young man, shout out to Super Young, shout out to Long Beach, Cambodia town. Um, you know, so I reached out to him before we uh, started the movie. I sent him a poster and I'm like, hey, um, you know, I we have, you know, I wanted him to play like my cousin or something, you know, in the movie, like cousin or um, friend of my brother's. And he was interested, but unfortunately the scheduling wasn't right. So, um, you know, he, he couldn't um, hop on for the main shoot. After the movie was done, his song, he was like, Hey, do you think Young will, uh, uh, you know, uh, let us use one of his songs for the movie? And I'm like, oh, no, let me ask him. So I hit him up again and um, he gets back to me and I was like, hey, just let you know, this ain't no bootleg project. Let me show you a little clip from the movie. And after I showed him the movie, he was just like, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, do you guys still need a cameo or something? And I'm like, I mean, we're done with the movie, but we 
yeah, we can use a cameo. And then I told Hassani, and Hassani's like, well, you know, there's some scenes from the um, scenes in the script that we haven't had a chance to shoot, but it's a cop scene. But I think it's meatier than like the cousin uh, role. And I'm just like, I mean, let me ask. And I and I told him, and and he he was down. He was down to play. He was very open. He was excited. You know, I think as an artist, you just want to stretch sometimes. And that was him stretching. And he did such a good job. He was a believable cop, sure. <laughs> yeah, because he knows. He knows cops. Yeah, That's that why. Does smell like Chinese food in your car. Uh, John. Well, tell us some stories of how the shoot went. It was a 40-day shoot. Um, uh, Hedy, was it what you expected? How was working with Asani? And do tell us about this bike. Oh, <laughs> the bike. I hope no little kids are listening, but man, my crotch hurt. <laughs> that bike, Hassani made me work that bike. You know, make me go uphill and then telling me I'm looking too slow on camera on the bike. Can you go a little faster? You know, and, and um, uh, you know, but you know, I gave it, you know, I tried my best. I, I, this is my first feature film. Um, and I really leaned on Hassani's coaching, really just coaching, not, you know, not from all aspects of the business, from producing to the writing, to the acting. So, you know, he, he's a great mentor and he would explain to me, you know, you know, what do I care about lighting? But he would just be like, yeah, Hedy, so we're going to light you this way because, because, you know, the way it cuts on your face. And I'm just like, oh, you just soak up the game when you're around him. That's just how it is. So it's been, um, it, it has it been difficult? Yes, because we are doing it independently and that is pretty hardcore, but this is a passion project and um, we have a great cast and crew and a lot of this came together based on their passion and favors so asani how did the filming go was it as you expected um filming was kind of amazing i grew way closer to my cast and crew from the from pre-production until now even we're growing closer as the film festival circuit continues uh i think one of my favorite things about this crew is we had fun we, we, we were down the business, but we had a really good time. It was a very small crew. For 17 days, we had a crew of about eight people, maybe even seven. Um, and it was a pretty close split. It was, it was uh, close to being half women, half men. And the remaining 23 days was just myself, my DP, Alberto Triana, and my producer, uh, MJ Del Rosario, who pulled double duty as a script supervisor. And then Hetty was in front of the camera doing her thing with whatever actors were in the scene. So we had a really good time. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it paid off because, you know, you play telephone with people sometimes. You say, you say something to someone, they say it to someone else, and you lose it. It's really hard to do that when it's only three people on, on set. And we got to shoot the film because I'm an owner-operator. Alberto and I, are, we own our own cameras. We own our own lights. We did have sponsorships from company, companies like Intellitech and Snyder Optics, but the equipment was ours until we were done with the film. So we could literally shoot, look at what we have, and then shoot some more if we wanted it to be better or different. And I think Hetty did a really, really wonderful job. Um, she really knew her character pretty quick, and we had fun with that. Her supporting cast, uh, we strategized to have her supporting cast be uh, veteran actors, because this was Hetty's first, like, really big dive into acting. And to hold up a feature film being in almost every scene is a really tough task. So... Uh, we surrounded her with Lena Yi, who was an incredible actress who played her mother, Wavy. We surrounded her with Ski Carr, who played the uh, the antagonist, if you want to call him that, Lalo, and then J. Teddy Garces, who played Hector. Everybody kind of created this protective cocoon of safety around Hetty when she needed it. And, 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 and of course, she did the same as well, because by the end of the film, she just knew what she was doing. And the, and the last scene we shot for this film was with, uh, with Young, uh, who was kind enough to donate two major songs, Cold Nights and Mando, to the film. And, and uh, I just have a sick sense of humor, so I thought it'd be dope to have him play a, a police officer. And uh, I, remember, I remember Dr. Dre playing a police officer and, 
in a training day. It seems like a rite of passage for rappers to play a cop. If you could play a cop, you could play anything. Right. And uh, and he was really, he thought it was kind of funny when we spoke on the phone. He, I think he, he got my sixth sense of humor and he was into it. On set, working with, with Young was like working with anybody. It was fun. He was really excited to take direction. He did it really well. And then Hetty was so in the groove by that point that it was kind of an easy night. Like we started a little bit late and still finished early. And that was something I really, that's uncommon with filming. And that happened a lot on Takeout Girl. And, and I would say it was such a special set that when something would inevitably go wrong, as, as it does on film sets, nobody panicked. Everyone just saw it as the universe enforcing some sort of rewrite. We took it as a sign of we're supposed to do something better. And then we went out and did that. And to have uh, Hetty, who based this on her life, be so flexible with it and, 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 and who's putting, you know, 40 days of her time and effort and driving back and forth to L.A., but she was so down for whatever changes the film needed. Uh, same thing with my DP. Like, we would start shooting coverage, and then he would just randomly pick up the camera and move, and we'd be like, wait, 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 hold right there. And we'd reshoot the coverage because we found something better. It was, it was like searching for magic. And now that I'm done with the film and, and, you know, great things are starting to happen for us. We're starting to find our way in Hollywood. I may never have that sort of freedom on set again. You know, I may never be able to just fly by the seat of my pants. So I think it will always be a special experience for me. If you're joining us live, we want you to be interactive. You can send in your questions or comments as well for Hetty and Hisani. Um, you know, it's interesting, Hetty, you mentioned something about cultures and ethnicities being not being monolithic when you when you do when you tell a story you know especially if it's about it like a Chinese family usually those stories will kind of stay pretty contained to a Chinese family but in Takeout Girl you know Tara is surrounded with by you know people of many different races and ethnic backgrounds her love interest is black her side hustle job the the drug dealer guy is Latino, uh, you know, the Chinese family. I mean, was that intentional for the characters to be multicultural? Um, I think it's just a reflection of the new generation. You know, see, my, my parents are immigrants from China. And and when they first got to America, you know, they their support group was in San Francisco Chinatown, Oakland Chinatown. And that generation tend to stick to their own a little bit more because of language barriers and you know and what have you of the time but i feel like the new generation of asians that are born here born here you go to school with different ethnicities you know what i'm saying like you go to parties with different ethnicities um our world is just a little bit more bigger than our parents and and um and so i it wasn't into, i it, it, i didn't think of it as oh, i'm gonna purposely make it like this it was just a reflection of a, a young girl in this time, you know, navigating her way around um, South Central LA. Did I make sense? Did I answer that question okay? <laughs> it makes sense. You, you know, okay. again, this is like taking a page out of my life. Uh, you know, it's real. You, you just don't really see it or these stories aren't necessarily being told, being bought, you know, in Hollywood mainstream. But thanks to you two, that's maybe, you know, this is the door that opens for these types of minority stories to be told. Hassani, did you have anything to add to the fact that, you know, the characters were multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got plenty. Uh, you know, man, you can tell already I can talk. But uh, <laughs> I think it just comes down to poverty doesn't see color. Poverty and desperation hits everybody the same. So, like, showing a neighborhood where they're all kind of suffering, they're all in a crappy situation, the Latino characters are, are suffering, and you can tell that because they're already doing whatever it takes. And then you have Nate, who is the uh, love interest, if you want to call him that, in, 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 uh, in the film, who uh, has obviously been through the ringer and has settled into whatever position he can hold that will help him pay his bills. And then you have Tara and her family who are essentially just stuck in the rat race. They are stuck in that gerbil wheel and cannot get out, which 
in a lot of ways is one of the worst fates to have is to know that you don't even have a second to think or everything falls apart, let alone to restructure your life and try and do something different. And I think the film reflects that. And, and I, what I love about it is I think it's done in such a subtle way. Like we're not, we're not like pointing a big red arrow at all of the diversity. We try to do it as organically and as uh, authentically as possible. There's a scene early in the movie, and obviously it's a big point of the movie, where uh, Kara goes to this store to make this food delivery and is told to bring it in the back. That's where the money is. That's where she'll get paid. And she's like, no way on earth am I going back there. And eventually she does, and the story unfolds from that. Um, had she not, because I would have been terrified about going to the back room of some strange place where clearly something weird's going on. Had she not gone back there, had she said, well, the heck with this, we're going to just do without the $42 or whatever it was. Do you, do you think that they're, obviously I'm asking about a fictional character, but I mean, do you think that character's life would have perhaps evolved in that direction from another way? In other words, maybe kind of destined for trying to find something that would, or taking advantage of something that would, you know, give her and her family a, a, another option? Or do you think it might've gone completely different and she would have, you know, ended up running her mom's restaurant as her mom had to retire or something. Any thoughts on that, Hedy? Um, I think eventually she would have always tried some type of uh, shortcut, you know, um, because when you're in that environment, it's just those are the opportunities that are around you. And it didn't have to be from the guy in the back. It could have been when she, she could have gotten a little older and maybe her friends are already started doing it and then she gets involved. Or maybe her brother you know, something, you know, and, and, you know, as you can tell from, um, you know, Lauren's character is already a street guy, you know, he just tries to, you know, you know, you try not to bring in the other family, but you already know, you know, that this is not brand new. This is not a, 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 a new concept. It's always been there and it's always going to be there if you choose to pursue it, you know? And so that scene really just jump started her to, um, jump started her to, um, on that path but I think eventually she would have you know uh, schemed some way or another to make a little bit more than what she was already making you know and there's only so many jobs you can take you know you could work double shifts and stuff and you still can't make enough to meet your month's you know expenses so what are you going to do to supplement your you know your expenses your bills um, your income and so when opportunities come like that it doesn't have to be like that specifically, but you will consider it, you know, especially if everybody around you've been doing it a little bit where they did it for a little bit and got out or did it for a really long time. You know, it's not a new concept. I think one of the biggest gaps in empathy and knowledge in this country is, is often not realizing it's not just the, the lack of sufficient income, it's the debt that people are dealing with. And you, you see her dealing with that as throughout um, May I jump in? Because you please. touched on something really important with that question. And, and the thing is, we work really hard to establish Tara as brilliant. When it comes to navigating the streets, she's like Mozart, you know, but also we show her at school and clearly she's great enough at school for people to want to pay for her help. So my answer to that question is yes and no. And that's a really important answer because there are so many brilliant people just stuck in that gerbil wheel. Like, I think if Tara, I can't imagine a world in which Tara wouldn't have faced her fears of going into that room because consistently throughout the, throughout the, <laughs> throughout the film, when faced with terrifying things, she really does tackle it head on. And I think that's what makes her special. But if she didn't go in that room, I think the potential for Tara to go on and be and do the exact same hustle, except on Wall Street, were very, very high. And, and like Michelle was talking about, like the legal, the difference between uh, illegal and legal things, she brought up the foreclosure thing. Well, let's talk about banking. You know, that's a perfect avenue for a character like Tara because she would have killed it. The, the just because of her savvy, her not intimidation factor, but her ability to be un unintimidated, she would have really killed it. 
and 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 I, once again, I bring that up because I'm sitting here as a filmmaker, having made a film, won a bunch of awards this year, but I am not the best filmmaker from my neighborhood. There were kids I made films with from age 12 that are now spending the rest of their life in jail because they had to eat. Like the potential we leave here in America, the potential we leave just on the floor in the dirt or tossed in the trash is unbelievable. So the next time, you know, I hope people take from this film the next time they bump into someone who is lower class or, or uh, uh, poor or even a former criminal, like there's a hell of a lot of potential in that person too. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we, we begin by talking about crime, but I look at it like, where are the resources? Where, I, when you get lower and lower and lower, you know, off the privilege pole, let's say you came here as an immigrant or your parents didn't speak the language. I mean, it gets that much, much harder to get resources in order to, to become something or, or not become, you know, poor. You have Tara and her family who they, they're business owners. They have a restaurant, right? But even healthcare is uh, something that is scary. Her mom is ill and won't go see a doctor because she's scared of the bills and the bills are, are racking up. Like John was talking about, you know, debt right now, small business owners are hurting and, and how timely that, that it was central, you know, to the storyline in, in this film. Um, but you know, Hetty, if you, you can even talk about this, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, how the struggle, like how hard it is for working class families to even just, just make it, you know, like you could be Uh, a business owner and still struggle. mm -hmm. Mom and pop, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my parents, they got into the restaurant business because eventually, you know, they don't have an education. My dad, you know, his education level um, after middle school, he had to go, you know, part of the cultural revolution, he had to do other things. And um, my mom's education is only up to high school. So coming to America, it's kind of like what opportunities are going to be there for people like them? Their English isn't so good. So who's going to really hire them? So they have to start working for themselves. And, you know, uh, a mom and pop Chinese restaurant is one of them. But just because you're a business owner, doesn't mean that you're well off and you don't have any worries because you have to pay a lot of things before you pay yourself. You have employees to feed, you know? So in our, in our movie, we have Crystal. So we have to make sure that, that we make enough to pay her at least, you know, before we pay ourselves, the family. And so we just, we're working really hard. Just a long time ago, my, my dad says it like this, you know, he, he said, you, either you could work for somebody else, right? And you get a salary um, or you could work for yourself and you work 20, 24 seven for it, but sometimes the salary you make is just the same as you, as for working for somebody else, but I'd rather work for me, you know, but it's not like it's more money. It's just the same salary you would get working for somebody else. You're just doing it for yourself. And even then with businesses, it, it's very unstable, you know, in restaurant business, you can make a profit one day and the next week it's dry and you just go, you know, you just go into debt a little bit. So. And who who gets access to the PPE loans or PPP loans, whatever they are these days? Starbucks. Done. <laughs> Actually, my favorite story was the uh, it was some Ayn Rand Foundation or organization that got some of the PPP money, and of course they are the arch opponents of government spending and such. <laughs> um, uh, I want to wind back just a little bit, and it's the same question for each of you. How did you get into your career? I mean, what was was this something you had dreamed about doing? Uh, you know, Sonny, you were talking about making films when you were a kid. Did you see yourself doing this, or was that, you know, was that a step on the road of this, or was that just something all the kids in the neighborhood did? So, start with you first, and then Hetty. How did you get here? Uh, I made my first film with my friends when I was twelve years old, and pretty much that same group of friends made a feature film a year until we were like freshmen in college. And uh, I was lucky. I was very, very lucky. I grew up in the inner city of Milwaukee, which is the most segregated city in America. Forbes has rated it the number one worst place in America to grow up black. Again, I'm the only boy from my block to make it out without going to jail or getting killed. Um, And a big part of that has to do with uh, 
uh, being adopted by a professional photographer named uh, David Vanderveen. Uh, when my mother fell ill, couldn't take care of me, we became homeless for a little bit. Um, he, you know, he kind of took me in. And I think seeing that you can make a living from the arts is what really changed my life. And he knew I had an interest in it because of the films me and his son would make together. He just started nurturing it. It's like it was the early '90s, I think, and he would he would show me Quentin Tarantino's films. He would show me Robert Rodriguez's films and say, "This guy made this film by selling his body to science." Like he makes films like you. He makes it with nothing, so you could do that one day. And then all the while teaching me technique and lighting and what the equipment's supposed to do, lensing, composition, post-editing uh, of pictures, all of which translated really well into uh, filmmaking. But I lived in a place that's very industrial. It is not a traditional choice where I'm from to choose to go into anything Hollywood. You get like a job at Master Lock and you just kind of call it a day. Um, but my best friend and my group of friends who were all athletes, we made films and one day one of them got ballsy enough to say, why don't we uh, try and get this film to play in a theater? And I'm like, shut up. Like, this isn't going to happen. And they, uh, they were like, <laughs> they were like, well, wh what's the harm in asking? So they, they go to the local movie theater. They come back with their chins down and looking sad. And I'm like, I told you they were going to say no. And then they, turned it around on me and we're like you're an idiot they said yes so every summer from that point on we would play our movie in theaters for friday saturday and sunday and charge admission we would get the box office and the theater would get the concessions it was a dine-in theater so the concessions were much higher and the local news covered us and would cover us every year and the the push we would get from even though they were terrible movies, because we had like 17 year olds playing the president. Uh, we still had a really good audience because people people would come and watch our our action drama and just laugh from beginning to end. And it made us a good money. We didn't have to get summer jobs. So uh, and it was from then on out, it was just battling traditionalism, if you want to call it that, like people telling me, OK, this is fun and all. But when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> and, and, and and just kind of sticking to my guns on that, so. Eddie, how about you? How did you become the filmmaker? How I, how I got into this life? Ooh. Yeah, and why? Um, I think, you know, growing up, I've always been into movies, stories, you know, and, and I, I forget, I, I posted this quote before, I think it's either by, um, by an artist, he said, you know, art is to console those who are broken by life. And, and art to me was really important because it showed me something else, another perspective, you know, growing up and my parents were always working. And so, you know, really the TV really raised me and my little brother and I had an interest in, you know, and, but because nobody in my family are, you know, is in this business, I didn't know how to express myself. I only can think like, oh, acting, if I want to you know, tell great stories, I should act, right? And I was just really basic with it. And I moved to LA and I discovered that, um, you know, really I, I like acting, but I really just love the overall business of storytelling, of storytelling. And I think that's how I got into, you know, wanting to write and, you know, wanting to produce and just, you know, I, I see it as an overall thing. It's not like just acting, you know, it kind of, I kind of evolved from that. I can't believe we've already gone through almost almost an hour talking with you both. I, I feel like I can go another hour, but I have to ask this question because it was part of, you know, my research when I came across your movie of a situation that is happening, I, I think, in a lot of places, and maybe not even just the United States, but a rise in Asian violence and racism, anti, you know, Asian violence and racism mm -hmm. due to COVID-19 and we all know, you know, what the, the president had done to make that even worse. Um, Hedy, you brought up, you know, Chinatown and, and growing up in, in, in Asian neighborhoods. And with the violence, there seems to be a racial divide. There seems to be racial tension. And mm -hmm. so if, if the residents of Chinatown or even, you know, older Asian generations were to see Takeout Girl, 
you know, what would you want them to understand? And then what is some advice that you would give to our communities of color who seem to kind of think about the, the racism as if, you know, it's, it's so focused on either Asian and black or Asian and Latino or this, this divisiveness that's happening. Whereas I see it, you know, as the, the bigger, the bigger stuff where the racism is institutionalized. Right. Right. Instead of it being like, you know, Asians are racist against blacks or blacks are racist against Asians or this violence is, is isolated in this way. Right. Um, so, you know, I, it's, if you only look at it just with um, um, like very just at face value, you know, you go like, oh, this happened, um, you know, this, uh, this Asian person was, let's say, attacked by a black person. That must mean, and, but this happens a lot in Chinatown, da, 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 da. so it must be, you know, the black community doesn't like Asians or something like that. And I don't really see it like that because just like with black on black crime, it's kind of like, is it really black on black crime or is it just the people in that area uh, uh, messing with each other? Because, you know, because um, when Asians bang on each other, you, are, you, don't, you don't call it Asian on Asian crime. But I guess there's never been enough of us for, you know, the government to call it Asian on Asian crime. Um, you know, because I feel like if, uh, and the reason why I also say Asians are monolithic is because I've met Asian people who came from the Midwest and they grew up in a predominantly white town. They've experienced racism, you know? So it's, it's, not a, it's not a racism based on race thing. It's just really where everybody's at. And then like Hassani um, used this word before, tribalism. You know, it's tribalism. And everybody just, you know, um, if, you're, if you're different, you're different and you will get picked on. But because of the statistics and stuff, some, they will attribute it to race when it's not really race, it's just, when you're a minority of minority, whatever color you are, you will experience a lot of crap. <laughs> All right. That is, you have the best questions, Michelle, because they really get me going. I, get, I could write a book on this and I'm trying to find the best place to start. And for me, I just go back to my mother. Um, my mother, taught me how to appreciate people of all races and why the beauty of their culture, why their culture is needed to enrich who I am. And as much as we've seen an uptick in violence and, and, and a disconnect between races a little bit, as much as we've seen an uptick in that, it is not the majority. Like I, I feel comfortable saying that, we may not adore one another, but overall, there's a, a live and let live sort of mentality amongst uh, Latino, Black, and Asian. And the media tends to sensationalize the terrible things that are happening because it makes them money. Um, because this film, and, and I have to go back to my personal experiences, this film would not have happened without the collaboration of uh, Black, Brown, and Yellow. And in a really big way. I mean, from Hetty coming to me, from me being able to internalize it and make it my own, to the sacrifices all of the actors had to make to ha make it happen, and all the musicians. Like, Takeout Girl is a testament both on screen and off screen that we're a lot more alike than we, than we would like to admit in most cases. As a matter of fact, my career is dedicated to telling stories about a character uh, being, having their ethics tested and having, and, and, and depicting their perilous journey from uh, toward figuring out who they are, where they stand in this world and trying to, you know, take care of their basic needs. And through showing those stories, I want to show how similar we really are because we're all pursuing the same thing. If you think about it, at the core, Takeout Girl is a story about mamas. Like, Wavy is my mom, too. The fact that Hetty and I came together, mashed our stories together, and we think so highly of each other, at the end of what is considered one of the most arduous artistic journeys you can take is a sign that 
we are alike, we can get along in a really big way and not only get along, thrive together. So I know that's something my mother would be proud of. I know that's something Wavy would be proud of. And, uh, and yeah, I would just say, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Because in my neighborhood, if in my neighborhood, with all of those super predators, if any of those men saw an Asian woman being attacked or an old Asian man being attacked, whoever did it, black, brown, yellow, white, doesn't matter, would have been stomped out instantly because ethics are across the board. They weren't bad people. They were desperate people. And if they saw something bad happening, they would stop it. I've seen it. At least that's my take on it. Yeah. And I would also like to add, because, you know, I, I, I know um, for the Asian community, because of the um, uprise and racism globally, you know, it's not just happening in America. I, I think I read something about a lot of Asia, um, Asians in France, Paris, there, there's like a lot of hits on them now because of the virus. And, um, you know, and I know a lot of people when they're hurting, they're just trying to figure out why is this happening? And they try to reach for the easiest answer, but the easiest answer isn't the most um, truthful or, or um, the bigger picture answer, right? And I would tell, you know, to people who are hurting that despite everything that's happening to you, not, you, not everybody that who is your color is your kind, you know what I'm saying? And not, you know, everybody who is your kind is your color. And, and, and me and Hassani is a testimony to that. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, this all kind of comes around to whether in these days you can be an optimist or a pessimist about economic problems, racial justice issues and such. Um, and when so many forces have it as a self-interest to get you to point at someone else to find the problem. Um, it's a, it's, at the moment, I, am, I, I tend to be an optimist and I tend to be optimistic these days. I mean, excuse me, I tend to be pessimistic these days about that particular issue because there, it has become, there, there are, I sound like conspiracy theorists and I'm really just talking basic kind of economic self-interest of some folks. Some folks are, I definitely have an interest in, in keeping the, 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 the crazy going and keeping the, the, the demonizations going. So I want, since we're close to running out of time, I do want to ask, and this is the most, hack question that you guys probably are asked at every single appearance you make, but I do want to make sure we get it in there because this is, this film is so interesting. I want to know what you're doing next or what you're hoping to, to work on next. So for each of you, what's on your plate now or what, what are you trying to get started or what are you already working on for your next project? Oh, uh, for me, I'm working on this um, South Carolina horror story with my friend because he's from there and it's um, based on this local uh, folklore about the boo hag. And so I, I hope that we continue to, you know, advance with that project. Mm -hmm. I am working on a short film called Blunt. And it is uh, the story of how uh, my girlfriend and I um, are in an interracial relationship and her parents disapproved of it, but how we definitely ease those tensions. <laughs> so uh, I can't wait to jump into production on that. And I, I really hope it's something we can talk about once it's done. Oh, we will. We will. I love both your work. And quite honestly, I hope that Takeout Girl becomes a series on Netflix or something. I think, I think it should, you know. We're, uh, pitching, we're pitching a prequel. Yeah. Oh, really? oh yeah, we got a prequel too. Sorry, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, we're pitching, <laughs> we're pitching a prequel. We're, uh, we're pitching a prequel that stars Wavy just arriving in America and her meeting a young Lalo. Oh, that's, oh man. Oh, that's so good. I got goosebumps because, you know, we didn't even touch on the big, big surprise of the film, you know, surrounding the plot um, and Wavy's character. Mm -hmm. But you'll have to see the film. And uh, the last question is really, I know that you're doing the uh, festival circuit stuff. Really hope that we are able to, uh, you know, get the general public to see it. But if you could talk again, you know, do we go to the website? Where do we find more information on how we can catch it? You could find us uh, on Instagram at Takeout Girl Feature Film. You could find us on Facebook at Takeout Girl Feature Film. You can find me on Instagram at Hisani J or on Twitter 
at Hisani, and that's H-I-S-O-N-N-I, and Hetty. Oh, mine is um, Juliet Must Die. You know, it's off. It's a little play off of the Jet Li movie with Aaliyah, Romeo Must Die. So yeah, you can find me at Juliet Must Die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you both are so cool. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Commonwealth Club and sharing your film, Takeout Girl. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for joining us. Uh, happy, uh, happy holidays, by the way. And I know we're trying really hard to stay healthy and safe, so continue to do so. We got some great programs. Actually, our last two programs is tomorrow. And so I'll leave John with the last words to let you know. No? <laughs> we have one next week as well. We've, we've got uh, three oh, more I'm sorry, programs. We have three, yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, find out, uh, you can find all of uh, the past Michelle Miao shows of the Commonwealth Club and our future ones, including a film screening tomorrow of a Don't Ask, Don't Tell documentary, Sarah McBride interview next week. We're talking with uh, people who are supporting a, a group that uh, is trying to convince Governor Gavin Newsom to appoint an African-American woman to succeed Senator Kamala Harris in, in the Senate. So lots of interesting stuff coming up before the end of the year. Find it all at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Have a great and safe weekend, everybody.